Power and Paradox by the Kinky Pet, Chapter 22. Summary. Dedicated to Miss Sparks, who's returned at last. The internet was a sadder place without you, my dear. Notes. Spoilers for Little Miss Sunshine. If you haven't seen it, go now. So good. Also, warning for Westboro Baptist Church, acting like the Westboro Baptist Church. Also, Fox News acting like Fox News. Sad face. Gratitude forever to that which yields. Loves you. And now over to Shannon at Mount Sinai, where Tony Stark is about to be released after nearly three weeks of bed rest. Shannon? Thank you, Mark. I'm here at Mount Sinai Hospital, where fans and supporters eagerly wait a glimpse of Tony Stark, infamous genius, billionaire, playboy, and the sub who invented and pilots the Iron Man suit. Unfortunately, we're not expecting Mr. Stark to stop for comments. Pepper Potts, CEO of Stark Industries and Mr. Stark's former personal assistant, has already issued a statement saying that he'll be leaving directly for Stark Tower, now headquarters of the Avengers Initiative. You can see the path cleared to his car and personal driver, Mr. Happy Hogan, and six party guards the barrier. Still, it's an exciting moment since this will be the public's first glimpse of Mr. Stark since Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes, aka Roar Machine, brought him to the hospital while the city was still under attack. Fans surround the hospital, bearing cards and flowers. The atmosphere here is ecstatic, but over to my left there are still a small number of protesters from the Westboro Baptist Church. To recap our earlier coverage, they take the arachnoid attack as a judgment from God on submissive promiscuity and liberationism. The camera pans over to an eclectic group of protesters bearing colorful signs. God hates slags. Thank God for arachnoids. Stark whore going to hell. America is doomed. A man wearing a Captain America hoodie and a girl in an Iron Man t-shirt are yelling at the protesters. Suddenly, the crowd starts shouting out, Tony and Iron Man, and the camera pans abruptly back to the hospital doors. Dressed in a suit and wearing sunglasses, Mr. Stark emerges, holding Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes' arm and supported him apart with an elegant walking stick. Miss Potts walks to the right. Stark waves and grins at the gathered crowd. After a few words to his companions, he approaches the barricade to sign autographs and accept flowers and small gifts. Mr. Stark! Mr. Stark! How are you feeling? The reporter calls. What are your plans now that you're out of the hospital? Stark trades smiles and laughs with fans, but ignores the news crews and protesters. After a few minutes, he allows himself to be ushered into the waiting town car by Miss Potts and Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes. Before getting into the car, he blows kisses to the members of the Westboro Baptist Church. Wake up! Daddy's home! Tony called into the silent workshop. The lights flashed on. Dummy whirred to life on his charging station and made an eager little clicking noise. Lazy buckets of bolts, Tony grumbled. Get over here. Rhodey rolled his eyes. Yeah, go on. Act like you're not down here to dote on your robo-dogs. They're nothing like dogs, Tony sniffed. And I'm down here to assess the damage on our suits, then fix them. Yours included, so shut it. Dummy wheeled up to Tony's side, claw head swelling. Tony reached out to pet him as he bumped his head lightly against Tony's hip. Mm-hmm, Rhodey muttered. Not doting at all. Don't you have some place to be? Tony asked, exasperated. All right, all right, Rhodey said, holding his hands up in surrender. But I'm coming back to make sure you eat dinner. You got that? Yeah, yeah, Tony said, proma forma grumbling. I can feed myself without help, you know. Rhodey snorted. Sure you can. Remind me why I'm letting you stay with me? Tony grumbled. Because I'm the only person who loves the armor as much as you do? Rhodey suggested. Tony laughed. Point, he conceded, pulling up the specs on a blue screen. Rhodey clapped him lightly on the shoulder and took his leave. See you soon. Captain Steve Rogers emerged from Stark Tower dressed for a run. The reporters clamored as one. Captain! Captain Rogers! What do you have to say to the Westboro Baptist Church? Captain, did you see the picket line? Are you aware that the Westboro Baptist Church picketed Mr. Stark's departure from the hospital? Any comment? Captain! Captain! Rogers, who had started to jog away from the reporters, paused. He turned abruptly and walked back towards them, jaw clenched and expression tight. A correspondent from MSNBC managed to get his microphone in Rogers' face. 
Do you know the Westboro Baptist Church picketed Mr. Stark's departure from the hospital? He asked again. Yes, Rogers answered tightly. I'm aware. Did you see any of the signs? Yes, Rogers answered, expression even colder. I saw them. Rogers swallowed. Any comment? The reporter prompted. Rogers seemed to struggle. Yes, he said at last. I want to go on record to say that I find the attitudes and tactics of the Westboro Baptist Church repugnant. Rogers looked pained. I think it is the most profoundly unchristian behavior I have witnessed in this century. Rogers took a deep breath and continued more forcefully. They're bullies, but they're the sort of bullies who thrive on attention, so this is the first and last time I'm going to acknowledge their existence by reporting on their protests, by putting those signs on television, by talking about them. It only gives them what they want, and I refuse to do that. So I'll say this once only. Their views are repugnant and unchristian. I utterly reject them and their bullying. Rogers gave an amused little smile. And if they're still around when the time comes, no doubt they'll pick at my funeral someday. Rogers paused and said with a shrug, Can't say I much care about that. Rogers nodded to the assembled reporters, gave a brisk good day, and vanished quickly as he began his run. Working on the suit was good. It was always good. Clean and comfortable, a labor of love, part relaxation, part redemption, meticulous and all-consuming. There wasn't room for anything else. Pepper dropped by with papers to sign. She stroked Tony's hair, gave him a kiss, then left him to his work, exiting with the clicking of stilettos and a soft, call if you need me. Tony made fifty more portal devices, with launchers and remote detonators. Bruce helped out with him quietly and coaxed Tony into drinking some smelly herb tea. It was apparently good for him. If it tasted like that, it had better be good for him. Tony went back to work on the suit. Clint brought him donuts and battered Tony to come drink with him. It was tempting, the brewery camaraderie of alcohol, but Tony wanted the clear, precise reassurance of engineering more. Rody brought Tony sandwiches and junk food, and he goofed off with Dummy and you. He asked questions about war machines repairs and upgrades. They argued about the guns, as usual, by rote. Rody tried to lure Tony from the workshop, but didn't force the issue. Natasha showed up silently with her widow's bite one afternoon. She handed it to Tony, then settled in the corner of the workshop to do maintenance on her other weaponry. Her motions fluid even with her wrist in a cast. Gun oil was a familiar smell, and not unlike Bruce's smelly tea to come to think of it. The sound of sharpening knives should probably have felt more unsettling than it did. The days slid by, one by one. Rogers never came to the workshop. Thank you for your email. I am currently out of the office on leave. If it is an urgent matter, please contact my assistant, Martha Jones, or my partner, Michael Nguyen. Otherwise, I will respond to your message on my return to the office November 30th. Sincerely, Catherine Winters, Public Relations Director, Stark Industries. Rogers never came to the workshop, but sometimes Tony thought about what he might say if Rogers did come to the workshop. I don't hate you, thanks for the space, but hey, let's be friends. Tony checked the wiring on his left gauntlet. Sorry about before, let's be friends. Just friends, though. No power exchange or sex. Just so we're clear, yeah? Tony checked the wiring on his right gauntlet. Good speech earlier. Sorry I thought you were an orientationist douchebag. My mistake. Tony picked up the soldering iron with a frown. It's cool you lied to the press. You're pretty fucking shrewd. Sorry I thought you might be a moron, but you're not. Yay! Anyway, thanks for lying to make me look better. You're all right. Tony sighed and put the soldering iron back down, then ran his dirty fingers through his dirty hair. I misjudged you. You're a good man. Tony swallowed heavily. He picked the soldering iron up again and turned back to the gauntlet. You're a good man. Rogers never came to the workshop. Which is why we're bringing you this news segment. No, seriously, what now? John Stewart announced seriously. And now over to a clip from our best, no, seriously, what now? Source, Fox News. 
Pat O'Connor, if anyone needed more proof that racism in America is now over, well, we have a clip. CNN. For the third time in as many days, eager fans of the Avengers have had the pleasure of seeing Captain America, Steve Rogers, enjoying New York City in the company of Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes, the pilot of the War Machine Armor. On Wednesday, the two played basketball in Central Park, then went for a jog. Thursday saw them at Piaggi's Pizzeria in Brooklyn, then out on Friday for another run in beers at Kirk's. Fans snapped various brilliant photographs, now trending on Twitter. They show the two heroes smiling and laughing, displaying an easy camaraderie and open affection. It's nice to see America's darling doms as fond of each other as we are of them. But what do you think? Send us your tweets to CNN. Hashtag Rogers and Rhodes. Pat O'Connor. So not only do we have a black president, but Captain America, a patriotic symbol of this nation and our illustrious past, clearly doesn't see color. It actually makes you wonder if in some ways racism of the past have been overstated. But at the very least, racism is over. This is a post-racial America, and the Rogers-Rhodes friendship proves it. Jon Stewart made a skeptical face and gestured the on-screen still of Pat O'Connor. Wow, he said, shaking his head. Apparently, Captain America doesn't see color, but Pat O'Connor sees it plenty for both of them. Stewart waved his arms, proclaiming in an over-the-top Pat O'Connor impersonation, Captain America has a black friend! Cap's friend is actually black! Racism's over! His friend is black! I mean, African-American. I mean, racism's over! Stewart frowned and said more seriously, brow creased. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if you still think friendship between a white dude and a black dude is this noteworthy, then racism in America isn't over. The audience cheered. John Stewart made an incredulous face and looked back at the still of Pat O'Connor. So your evidence for the end of racism is, there's a famous old white dude who has an African-American friend? Stewart looked surprised and asked, Well, if that's all it took to prove racism is over, then why didn't you end racism yourself years ago, Pat? Stewart smiled sweetly. I mean, you do have one black friend, right, Pat? Stewart paused. You know, the friend you mentioned when you insist your jokes aren't racist? We'll be right back. As Tony rolled the elevator, he was mentally gloating. See, Rody, I remember food on my own. Tony was going to turn the tables on Rhodes and drag him out for food. The elevator opened silently, and the deep rumble of Rhodey's laughter immediately greeted him. Tony padded quietly down the hall, then froze in shock at the sight before him. Rhodey and Captain America were sitting on the living room floor, drinking beer and laughing. What did they do then? Cap gasped out, eyes bright. What else could they do? Rhodey answered, forcing the words out, breathless with laughter. Straight attention under civvies and a brazier, hoping to hell he wouldn't notice. Cap shook his head laughing and clutching his sides. Tony backed away from the sight, suddenly uncomfortable with a horrid jumble of emotions. Possessiveness. Rhodey's my friend. Envy. Of that certain bond between soldiers. Surprise. That Rogers could laugh like that. Unease. At such visceral proof that other people's lives had gone on in the weeks he'd been comatose, then bedridden. Tony went back down to the workshop. Welcome back, John Stewart said. So I may have given Pat O'Connor a hard time about some remarks he made about the friendship between Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes and Captain Rogers, but hey, I confess, the sight of Rogers and Rhodes does, Stuart made his flustered face and raised his voice an octave, does make my patriotic little heart go pitter-pat, pitter-pat. He sighed and fluttered his eyelashes, fanning himself. They're so dreamy. He straightened his tie and returned to his usual delivery. But okay, that actually wasn't so bad, Stuart conceded. I was expecting worse. If that's the most offensive thing you... Stuart listened to something in his earpiece. Oh, I see. We have another clip. Pat O'Connor. And let's not forget Steve Rogers created the first racially integrated military unit in American history. Stuart peered at the clip screen nervously from between his fingers. True, Captain America invited Gabe Jones and Jim Rita to join the Howling Commandos in 1941. 
despite the legal prohibition on mixed units, which wouldn't be lifted until 1948 by executive order six years before Brown versus Board of Education. So yes, that's admirable and is actually one of the things that has made Captain America such an appealing figure over time. Stuart looked nervous again. But I have a feeling you're not done. Go on. Pat O'Connor. So in a sense, Steve Rogers, Captain America, really started the civil rights movement and freedomism, and that a good decade before Duke Ellison. The audience gasped and booed. John Stewart banged his head against the table. I... did he really... I mean... Stewart banged his head against the table a few more times, then whimpered and clutched his head. Ouch. Stewart turned to face the other camera and said, And now, to discuss Fox News' latest work of historical fiction, senior black correspondent Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore, everybody! Hey, Tony, you hungry? Rody called from the doorway. Steve and I are going to hit up Ray's. Want to come? Nope, I'm good, Tony said a little too quickly. Really? Rody drew the word out, skeptical. Tony hesitated. He was hungry, and he did want to go to Ray's, but he also didn't want to. Rogers was disorienting. The thought of Rogers and Rody together was even more so. Yeah, Tony said at last. Kind of in the middle of something here. He'd hesitated too long. Shit. Tony shrugged, then added, Have fun with Captain America. Rody stood, staring. After a few long moments, he asked, Is there something you want to tell me? Huh? What? No! Mm-hmm. Rody paused. Because, you know, I can't help noticing Steve still calls you Mr. Stark. What can I say? Tony dodged. He's an old-fashioned guy. And for some reason, he'll never come down to the workshop, Rody said. He walked into the room and paused. Everybody else does, but not him, even when I'm coming down to invite you to lunch with us. Tony shrugged. Are you avoiding him, or is he avoiding you? Rody asked shrewdly. Avoiding? Nobody's avoiding! Tony cried. He winced. His voice came out shrill. This did nothing to reassure Rody. Is everything okay? Fine! Everything's fine! Tony said it too loud. Shit. Too little sleep and his defenses were down. Did something happen? Rody asked, brow creased. No! Tony protested. He waved his arms and knocked a screwdriver to the floor with a clatter. Tony scrambled awkwardly to retrieve it as Rody walked around the workbench to stand where he could see Tony's expression more clearly. Tony's heart started pounding. Do not want to talk about this. Rody's brows were furrowed. Expression pinched. Part worry, part anger. As he asked, he didn't try and pull anything, did he? Jesus, no! Tony cried, startled. This is Captain America we're talking about. Come on, that's... That doesn't mean a thing, Rody protested. People aren't always what they seem, and he's from the 40s, so I just want to make sure you... Honestly, we're fine, Tony insisted firmly. He's been great, Rody, really. Rody was frowning. He took a deep breath and said a little more softly. But you know, if he weren't great, if things weren't fine, you could tell me. You know that, right? And how is it possible for Tony to feel so moved and so irritated at the same time? Tony felt like the wind was knocked out of him when Rody continued, stumblingly awkward. I mean, just because he's Captain America, that doesn't... I wouldn't assume that... It bothered Tony that Rody fretted about him like that, that Rody worried about some big dom trying to pull something with him. But at the same time, Tony was grateful and unexpectedly relieved that if Rogers had harassed him, if Rogers had tried to pull something, Rody would have believed him. Wouldn't have made excuses for the guy, or thought Tony was asking for it, or made it up, or was being hysterical, or... Rody, Tony said urgently, cutting him off. Cap hasn't done anything wrong, okay? Rody was still frowning, studying Tony's face intently for any of his tells. Shit, Rody's really worried. 
Rudy's muscles were still bunched tight, his expression intense and searching. He leaned a little closer. Give it a rest, Rhodes! Tony cried in exasperation, throwing his hands in the air. Cap's been great, and I can take care of myself, you know. If he'd taken a step out of line, I'd have let him have it, and I sure as shit wouldn't cover for him afterwards. Tony's foot of pike had chased some of the worry from Rhodey's face, though he didn't look quite ready to drop it. Tony sighed. We're good. I just... there's nothing to talk about. I'm not gonna push, Rhodey said, still frowning. But I'm not stupid, Tony. I know something's going on. Tony sighed again. No sense denying everything. He was master of the half-truth. Look, it's just Howard, you know? It's complicated. Shit, Tones, Rhodey swore. I should have realized. I mean, uh... You okay? Fine. Seriously, fine, Tony insisted again. Just not in a joining mood, but enjoy lunch, and tell Cap I say hi. Now scram. Rhodey was giving him a skeptical, worried look as he made his way hesitantly to the elevator. If you're sure... Cross my heart, Tony smiled. Rhodey hesitated, then added softly. You know Howard isn't Steve's fault, right? Tony rolled his eyes and nodded, making his best no-shit face. Rhodey gave a little shrug and apologetic look. Just, he's a good guy, you know. I like him. Tony nodded, then added, Hey, uh, bring me donuts? There's that bakery by Ray's. Just a few blocks. I'll consider it. Rhodey said a deadpan, but the words were followed by the slightest little smile. Tony was definitely getting donuts. The MTA is pleased to announce that all transit lines are fully operational again, and have now returned to their usual service schedules. Thank you for your patience while we repaired the damage from the October 1st attack. Come on, man, Rhodey said coaxingly from the doorway. You've been down here for ages. There's pizza and a movie, something Natasha picked. Rhodey made a face. I had a few suggestions, but she went stony-faced and said the movie was already chosen. Tony sighed. Well, he and the workshop had had a good run, he thought. She said you'd like it. Rhodey reassured him. Yeah, yeah, Tony said with a shrug. He rolled out his shoulders and stretched, then headed to the elevator. No need for the hard sell. You had me a pizza. Oh, good. Rhodey bumped his shoulder into Tony's. Tony smiled up at him. You've got a good team, Rhodey told him again. It's good you're coming up. Unit cohesion and all that. Mm-hmm, Tony hummed. Good night, boys, Tony called to the bots. Shut it all down, Jarvis. With pleasure, sir. So, uh, speaking of unit cohesion, Rhodey began awkwardly. You know I've been hanging out with Steve, right? Tony nodded and gave him a doe-eyed look. America's darling doms, he let out a theatrical sigh. They're so dreamy. I have a Google alert for new photos. Yeah, yeah, Rhodey said. Fucking paparazzi. He rolled his eyes, but didn't look especially annoyed. Not entirely, anyway. Tony nearly snorted. Just wait, Rhodey Bear. It'll get old soon. Anyway, Rhodey pressed on as the elevator doors closed behind them. I just wanted to ask you something. Rhodey hesitated. See, I've told Steve just about every good story I've got from 17 years in the service. Not the heavy ones, but the hijinks, you know. Guess how many stories he's told me? Rhodey paused for effect. Tony didn't guess. None. Not one. Tony felt a sudden protective swell of irritation. So what? Cap wasn't spilling great stories of the HCs emitted from the history books. Books Rhodey had already devoured in a fanish rapidity second only to his obsession with the Tuskegee Airmen. Tony didn't say anything. Rhodey was still talking. I just... that isn't normal, you know? People in the service, they swap stories. Good ones, bad ones. Rhodey shook his head and said more quietly, Soldiers tell stories to each other, except when they can't, when it's too raw. So I wondered, has he ever said anything to you about the war, or about the past at all? Tony blinked and shook his head. 
ashamed he'd misjudged. Rudy wasn't after some juicy story from Captain America. He was worried about his new friend. Not a word, Tony admitted. Cap never talks about the war, and he hardly mentions the past. Tones, that's bad, Rudy said, brow creased. Do you think he's talked to the others? Dunno, Tony said noncommittally, though his first instinct was a firm no. He doubted that Rogers was talking about feelings and loss and trauma with any of them. Well, shit. Rody looked grim. Tony, I'm shipping out pretty soon. You guys will keep an eye on him, right? Shit. Yeah, we'll do, Tony promised. Rody gave an approving nod. The elevator doors opened. Natasha was waiting. We're watching Little Miss Sunshine. There'll be no debate. Tony shrugged. Good movie. No objections here. Huh. Not the movie I'd have expected Natasha to pick. Tony shrugged again. Natasha nodded and took a place in the armchair near Bruce, who was fiddling with the remotes and talking to Clint. Rody grabbed a beer and sat next to Bruce. Tony bent down to look under the counter for more of that Belgian ale Pepper had brought him. He'd better put them in the fridge now if he wanted to have one later while... Mr. Stark, nice to see you, Roger said warmly. Tony jolted and his head on the underside of the counter. Shit, where did he come from? You okay? Rogers asked. Tony nodded and received one of Cap's most beautiful smiles. I'm glad you're here. Jim thought he could probably convince you to join us. Tony blinked and stood up, Belgian ale forgotten. Jim? Cap calls him Jim? Rogers faltered, then added more quietly. I mean, uh, I think Natasha's right. We need to stick together. Rogers cast a worried glance across the room. Clint's taking the losses pretty hard. It's good to show him that we're all here, a team. Yeah, cool, Tony said with a nod and added more feelingly. I mean, right, we're definitely a team, and we should support each other, right? Rogers nodded and gave him an approving smile. Tony opened the fridge and buried his head inside it. After a few moments, Roger repeated a quiet, I'm glad you could make it, and carried the last tray of snacks over to the coffee tail. Clint joined Tony at the fridge. Not got to you too? Clint asked him with an amused look. Huh? I mean, I was going to skip this, Clint said, waving a hand over the couch, but... He continued more quietly. I think she's right. Cap's really struggling. We should show him we're here for him and shit. Tony choked down a laugh, swallowed crooked, and choked for real. You okay, man? Clint asked. Fine! Tony gasped. Makes sense, though, right? Clint continued. Cap's dealing with the future, and now the media frenzy. Probably good to show him we can still, you know, think of him as a person, not just some icon. Definitely, Tony agreed, and cast a look over at Natasha. Across the room, Natasha raised an eyebrow at him. Well played, Romanov. Tony shook his head. Wonder what she told Bruce, that I'm the one having a hard time? Tony pulled a lager from the fridge, then put it back and grabbed an IPA that was a poor substitute for Belgian ale. Natasha was curled in the far armchair. Bruce was next to her on the couch, then Rody and Rogers with Clint in the opposite armchair. Tony wriggled in between Bruce and Rody and grabbed a slice of pizza. Hit it, Jarvis! Tony called, and the strains of Devotchka filled the living room. Tony's mind wandered, and he found himself watching his teammates as much as the movie. Rogers looked shocked by the grandfather. Rody looked delighted by the teenager. Is that Nietzsche? You don't speak because of Friedrich Nietzsche? Bruce gave a sympathetic wince at Frank's tales of woe in academia. Clint smiled indulgently at the little girl. Huh. Natasha radiated lazy contentment like a house cat, glancing over to observe her teammates from time to time. Watching the movie and its fucked up little family that loved each other anyway, Tony couldn't help feeling a little twist of sorrow or envy or something. He'd pined for a brother or a sister as a child. Howard always been a bit of a shit. Daddy hates losers. Then worse and worse after he presented. His mother, though. Mama had been wonderful. It's hard to believe that she'd been younger than Tony was now when she died in the crash. Only 36. Tony shook the thought away. 
I think you might be colorblind. You can't fly jets if you're colorblind. Rody looked stricken. His eyes were distinctly misty. Tony loved that Rody would cry at the movies. Kappa's leaning forward, rapt, hanging on every word. Bruce and Clint look sympathetic, but relaxed. Bruce, probably, assisted by weed. Clint, definitely, assisted by beer. Natasha, though. Natasha still looked relaxed, curled up in the armchair. She looked like the very picture of relaxation. So maybe that's why Tony looked again, and then again as the film continued. It seemed like she was watching the film, but her eyes kept flicking away to check the windows and the door. Her seat had the best view of all points of entry, and that wasn't seeming coincidental. When her eyes weren't glancing from the screen to the entries, she was casting little glances at the others, watching them as Tony had been, mostly Clint, but Cap and Bruce as well. And Tony too, he guessed, though he never caught her at it. Tony wondered suddenly whether the movie night was more for their benefit or Natasha's, or whether she knew herself. She'd want them all together, this fucked up little team of theirs. Would she have been able to tell them that? As the closest he'd come to seeing vulnerability in the super spy, and something about that glimpse was warmly reassuring. He remembered the hospital. I'll keep watch. Full of pizza and beer, Tony relaxed back into the couch, and slumped over against Rody's shoulder, and drifted to sleep as the sounds of Sufjan Stevens washed over him. You are cordially invited to the New York Restoration and Memorial Fund Gala, with special guests, the Avengers, Captain Stephen Rogers, Dr. Bruce Banner, Mr. Tony Stark, and Agents Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton. Dinner and dance tickets start at $10,000. Notes. Thanks so much for reading. I couldn't possibly do Don Stewart justice. I love that guy, and so much of his vocal inflection and facial expressions, but I couldn't resist trying anyway. Smiley face. More Steve in the next chapter. Hope you like it, and thanks for your patience and good wishes. This is Anship. I couldn't possibly do John Stewart justice either. So you know. Take from it what you will. <laughs>